All right. Well, <clears throat> y'all stayed. <laughs> All right. Well, <clears throat> this morning, I am going to be sharing with you concerning following the faith of people that inherit the promises. We talked a little bit about that this morning, the first session. And the Bible is very clear in Hebrews chapter 6. In verse 10, it says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that you be not slothful, but followers of them who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. Now, that's a strong enough statement but the next gives why, the next verses. For when God, verse 13, for when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. So he swore to himself because there's nothing more that he could swear to or by. Saying, surely blessing I will bless thee and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. After he had patiently endured. He says, and so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise for men verily swear by the greater and an oath of confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Now, obviously the point here is follow those, follow the faith of those who through faith and, 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 and patience inherit the promises. That, that's the overall idea. But this last verse also is really important because it says for men verily swear by the greater and, and this is the main part. And an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. So in other words, once somebody swears an oath, that's it. That's done. Right? There's no more strife. There's no more discussion. There's been an oath sworn. And here, why does he bring that up? Because he had just said that God swore an oath. So if God swore an oath to Abraham... That everybody that believed like Abraham, we know that Abraham is the father of our faith and we're to follow him too. Then, and God swore an oath to himself or by himself, then because there's nothing greater to swear by, then that should be an end of all of our strife in trying to believe God. In other words, once we realize that God swore an oath by himself and said, this is what I will do in blessing, I will bless you and multiply, I'll, I'll multiply you. And then all the other blessings that came later uh, through the promises would be also obtained the same way because we believed God, just like Abraham believed God. And when you believe God, you know he has already sworn by himself and there's nothing greater. In other words, there is nothing God can do to convince you to trust him more than what he did by swearing an oath. Now think about that. So in other words, it's not on God's end. It's on us to choose to believe God and then follow him. Now, the way we do that is we look at the faith of people who, who inherited the promises. You know, that's one of the things <clears throat> uh, I've, I've never really gone, you know, went after business and that kind of thing. Um, but one of the things I know, and I, I did this in martial arts, and I did this in Christianity, when I, especially when I first started really following God. I was born again at nine years old, so I didn't know a lot of the details and everything. But at 17, I knew that I was supposed to be preaching and still didn't know how and what and all that. But I started following God. And, and I would say started following him closer. 
And hopefully every year since then, I have followed closer and closer and closer. Now, that is not to say that I've been perfect and had never made mistakes or anything. Of course not. I mean, that should go without saying, but obviously I have to say it or somebody will go off thinking I'm, I think I'm perfect, which is far from the case. I, I have a wife, so I know I'm not perfect. So, <laughs> She lets me know where I'm not, you know, so from time to time. But here, if we, the thing that I did was when I was so training martial arts, when I wanted to get my hands faster, I found the person that had the fastest hands in martial arts. And I went and studied under him and learned how to get my hands faster. And I did what he did because I knew that if you can find somebody that's doing what you want to do and you imitate them exactly, then you will be like them. It's called discipleship. Jesus knew that. And so I went and studied him. When I wanted to get my kicks better, I found the best person at kicking and I went and studied under him and got my kicks where I wanted them. And so I've always done that. And when I wanted, when I started studying healing, I went to the person that I knew of at that point, uh, which I could relate to the best, which was John Lake, which of course he had already passed away. But I went to his family, went to people that knew him, uh, got all of his materials, and I imitated him as closely as possible. And I started getting the same results he did. So it's, it's a law, right? It's the law that what you look at, you become. And the closer you look at it, the longer you look at it, the more you become like it. It's just that simple. See, there's no secret. There, there's no hidden thing where God is, you know, tossing out fairy dust somehow and is landing on every, you know, people here and there. No, it's real simple. You get as close as you want to get by following as closely as you want to follow. That's it. That's it. There's, there's no big secret, nothing else you have to do. You just follow as closely as you can. And you, will fo- and you can follow as closely as you want to, especially with God. Now, there may be people on earth that you can't get near, but God's not like that. And so when he says, follow the faith of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, the word patience, uh, we tend to it as thinking we're putting up with or something like that. But technically, the Bible, usually when it uses the word patience, means consistency. So when it says through faith and consistency, they inherit the promises. So those are two of the keys right there. That you're going to, get, you're going to inherit the promises by faith and consistency. See, a lot of people quit just before they get what they're trying to get. Many people fail to receive healing. Because they quit and they give up just before the healing comes. And, and you say, well, why does it take so long? I don't know. Why do you stay so far back in the crowd? Because that's really what it comes down to. And people say, well, but you know, uh, I'd like to spend more time studying, but I mean, I got a job. Okay. I, you don't have to explain it to me. It's what, because, you know, what you do is your business. So you have to be able to do what you do. But I know when I wanted... After my daughter died, when I wanted to learn healing, nothing else mattered, you know? And I I thank God I did not have a quote-unquote career that I had a degree in that I would have to walk away from it, you know, it probably made it easier. But I decided I'm going to find this truth. And I kept digging and I quit jobs and would go to conferences, as I said before, and We'd quit, and you know, I'd, I'd first I'd tell my need the days off. They'd say I couldn't have it. I said, okay, I quit. And it was just that simple. And my mother-in-law thought I was crazy. 
thought I wasn't taking care of my family right, which I probably wasn't according to her standards. And so, but you have to decide what you want. And that's one problem people have is they never make a decision of what they really want. They talk about what they'd like. Oh man, one day I'd like to do this. You know, one day it'd be awesome if I could do this. And they also what they like. And that talking about what you like placates your soul. It's almost like you're doing it because you're talking about it. But then it'll die down and you'll want it again and then you have to talk about it again. Instead, you could just go do it. And if you go do it, say, you know, it's funny because I love Pentecostal history or church history, that kind of thing. Not just Pentecostal, but just church history. And it's funny because, you know, I've been preaching full time like this now over 20 years. And, but I've been studying Pentecostal history for 45 years almost. Actually about that, about 45 years. And for the first 20 years, and first, well, let's say first 25 years up until I started ministry, um, in full-time ministry, I was, those, these guys, you know, men and women, uh, Amy Simple McPherson, Smith Wigglesworth, John Lake, uh, Mother Edder, all these people, there was nobody that I could get around like them. There was nobody to go to. If you did go to somebody, you couldn't get near them. They had their bodyguards and they had all their stuff and you couldn't get near them and couldn't ask them a question or anything like that. <clears throat> Except one, and that was Dr. Summerall. And I, I went to him and thank God he didn't have an entourage of bodyguards that I couldn't get through. And he was an amazing man. And so I, I thank God for that time to be able to spend with him. And he had spent time with Smith Wigglesworth. So I got to learn and watch. I, I, I learned as much by watching him as I did by listening to him. And so, but I, but I really liked all these people, Wigglesworth, Amy Simpson, all these people. And I looked at them and I'm like, man, that's what we need. We need, where are these people? You know, because there's people out there that are doing some things, but very honestly, when Dr. Summerall passed away, we don't have any more like him. There's nobody out there like that. If there was, I'd be there. I'd just tell you, I'd tell you the truth. There's just not people like that out there anymore. You know, I'm not saying there's not good people and good ministers. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying these men, Wigglesworth, Dr. Summerall, even John Lake, these guys were, they were different. And the sad part is we want their results without living their lifestyle, without, without doing what made them different. We want the difference. It doesn't work that way. And well, one of the things I noticed was that, and, and it's funny because, like I said, after my daughter passed away, I was looking for power. I wanted to know how to get people healed. I wanted to know the truth. I mean, I was going after this. And that was the only thing that mattered to me. I, I wasn't looking for better character. God knows I needed it. I wasn't looking for any of this. Stuff. I'm telling you, I wasn't looking for that. I was looking for the truth about power and especially being able to demonstrate healing. And so I would, because there was nobody I could get around, I got every book I could find on Wigglesworth, Lake, uh, I mean, you name it, all these guys. I mean, some people maybe you've not even heard of, you know, George and Stephen Jeffries and people like that that a lot of people don't know about here in the States, many of them. Raymond T. Ritchie, who was down in Houston, tremendous healing ministry. A lot of the people that 
you'd never really hear about. But I, the closest I could get was books. So, man, if there was a book, every time, it's funny, a person could be dead 50 years, and they'd come out with a new book. <laughs> it was amazing, you know? And I thought, what possibly could they say about this great man that I hadn't already read? Because once he's dead, that should have been it, right. you know? But yet, you find other people that know different things, and then they'll put that in. And so I'd read uh, Apostle of Faith by uh, Frodsham. Uh, you know, Wigglesworth never wrote a book. But he had, well, now he's had many books written about him, but he had two books of sermons that they wrote down his sermons and published them in his name, even though he never wrote them. And so I started looking at these guys and studying Wigglesworth. And, and it's funny because Wigglesworth, Dr. Sumrall was like Wigglesworth. So I knew getting around Dr. Sumrall, because I'd heard he had been with Wigglesworth, I knew that getting around Sumrall was to some degree would be like being around Wigglesworth. And so I'd get a hold of videotapes or whatever I could find at the time. A. Allen, Jack Coe, all these guys. And I'm watching these videos. And I'm, God, we need this. God, we need this. But I couldn't get to those guys. The closest I could get to Jack Coe at that point was to drive over here by Christ of the Nations and go to the cemetery. Because that's where Jack Coe's buried, right here in Dallas. And so I go over there. I didn't go over there and lay on the grave and try to soak the anointing or any of that other witchcraft. Instead... I, I honored these men, and, and I would stand at their grave and go, you know what? You may be having your rest, but we need what you had. And I'd watch their videos, and I'd imitate them, and, and I didn't have anybody to imitate them on. You know, they'd pull some out of a wheelchair, and I'd practice that same thing. I'd, you know, I'd picture this, had dreams about it, had, had I can't say vision necessarily, because I don't like, you know, I don't know, but I, I saw certain things happening. I saw myself doing certain things certain ways. And, but it's because that's, I was feeding on this all the time. I was trying to follow the faith of men who through faith and patience inherited the promises. And so I kept digging, kept digging. But one thing I noticed about probably, I don't know, 12, 15, 17 years ago, about that, about 17 years ago, <clears throat> I still love Pentecostal history, still love reading the books about these guys. But, and a lot of people, and I've said I wanted to write some books myself on different things and from, from maybe a little different perspective, but I've gotten away from a lot of that because the books I write now are more like how to help people right now and do these kind of things. And I've gotten away from a lot of writing more of a historical thing. And I started looking at it one day and I thought, and it hit me that I'm not as hungry for the history stuff. And I thought, why? And I actually thought, well, that's sad. I should be. You know what? Did I lose something? What's going on? And it's funny because I actually spent time asking God, what, why, why don't I read more books like that now? And the answer was real simple. Once you've done it, reading about other people that have done it, doesn't mean as much. And I've been blessed that I've gone all over the world and I've done these things. And I've seen them. And when you see them happen, you, <laughs> it's so funny because you know more than ever, that was God. That was all God. That wasn't Wigglesworth. That wasn't John Lake. That was God. And, and I, I caught myself kind of moving away from the historical 
Not that I don't hold these men in high regard. We should honor those. We give honor to whom honors do, and, and especially Wigglesworth and, and, and Dr. Sumrall. These men finished their course in a way that is so honorable that there's nothing to be said. Now, at, you know, Wigglesworth, when he was alive, people didn't like him. People, they, you got to understand, they did not like him. If you mention Wigglesworth, ah, they, I've got testimonies of people how they talked about him. People in his meetings that they only went there to get prayed for. And, and they would listen to his sermons, but they did not like him. Why? Because he was so rough. He was very, I mean, just, I mean, just so matter of fact. And, you know, I've always said, you know, people love Wigglesworth until Wigglesworth shows up. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like I've said before about Patton. They love Patton until Patton shows up and then they don't like him so much. But you like the results. <clears throat> the other day I was listening to something and they were talking about somebody was blasting Trump because he would, had fired so many people in different positions around him and that kind of stuff. And they're going, oh, see, he can't get along with people and this can happen. And I'm like, man, go back and read your history books. Abraham Lincoln fired every general he had until he found Grant. Why? Because he needed a man that would fight and win battles. He didn't need people in positions. And, you know, whether you like Trump or whether you don't, that's neither here nor there to me. Uh, but if I was in Trump's position, if they're not doing their job, I'd fire them. Amen. It's that simple. And so it's the same thing that Lincoln did with Grant. He, all the other generals, Meade and these guys, they, they would avoid fights. Grant went right into it. Why? It's real simple. I don't know if you remember years ago, another movie, <clears throat> um, An Officer and a Gentleman with uh, Richard Gere. And there's uh, Lou Gossett Jr. is in there as a Marine D.I., and he's trying to get him to quit. And he's got him laying down. He's raising his legs, doing the flutter kicks, that kind of stuff. And he's spraying him with water. Why don't you just quit? Why don't you just quit? And finally, out of all of it, Richard Greer breaks down and goes, I can't quit because I got nowhere else to go. And he's crying. You can see he's like, I'm not, I'm not quitting. I'm not going because I got no place else to go. That was Grant. Grant had failed in every business he'd ever done. He was a drunk. And then the Civil War broke out. And, and because of the Civil War, he rose to a position because he had the grit to fight. Why? Because he had nothing to lose. He'd already lost everything. He had nothing. So he would go in and fight and win. And that was what Abraham Lincoln needed at the time, a general who wasn't afraid to fight and wasn't afraid to keep on going. And that's really what won the Civil War for the North, was the fact that Grant kept chasing Lee until Lee just ran out of places to go. Because during the whole first half, three quarters of the war, the South was winning every battle. Winning every battle. I mean, their, their field commanders were the best in the world. Stonewall Jackson's uh, campaign in the Shenandoah is still used by military academies around the world because he was one of the best field commanders in history. And so you have these, these people and Abraham Lincoln needed a person who would fight and not quit and keep on going. And you got to have that grit in you to fight and keep on fighting and keep on fighting and to where the only way that they're going to stop you is kill you. Well, guess what? There has never been a time in Christian history when Christians were not giving their life for the gospel. You got people today, well, you know, 
And, you know, the, the next step, they're going to kill Christians. Next step, it's, you know, it's coming. It's, this is coming, that's coming. So what's different? You know, well, you know, we got to be ready. Well, get ready. <laughs> Why? If you, I mean, come on, you're a fool if you don't. If you, if you say it's coming, then you ought to live like you believe it's coming. And if you're not going to live it, then don't talk it. Isn't that simple? Whenever I first started, one of the promises I made to God, I said, I will never preach something I'm not living. Something I've not experienced. And that doesn't mean I've, I wouldn't preach it you know, if I wasn't living the fullness. But that, that's one of the reasons why this church exists. Because we started this church in 2012. I actually came in around 2011. We started looking for a place here. And then, but in 2012, we launched this church. Why? Because for 12 years, actually a little over that, I'd been traveling around the country, even around the world. And it was always pastors, usually pastors that invited us in. And I was going in and telling them what their church should be doing. And yet I didn't have a church. <laughs> well, so every time I'd come back off of a trip, I felt so guilty. Because I don't believe in telling people to do something I'm not doing. And so I said, we need to start. There needs to be a church where people can see this being lived out by the congregation. That they know this and live it. And, and to a large degree, we've done that. But in many cases, even across the world, other congregations now are doing what we've been teaching. And like I said a few weeks back, I preached about the failure of JGLM. was because we still have people that think that you know, I'm the guy that they got to get to. And all that means is I have not been clear enough in teaching the truth to people where they hear it and go, yes, okay, he's no different. I can do what he's doing and God can use him. He can use me. And if, and if he can get people healed, God can heal me right where I'm at. Because we have to realize this is, this is God doing what he wants to do. Now, I'm not saying he's picking and choosing. I'm saying this is what he wants to do. So at some point, we have to decide to be those people that will actually be a light and not just be a receiver. Amen? Yes. So, but as I was studying this, I was thinking about this and about following the faith of people that, who through faith and patience inherited the promises. And so I started going through, got a book on Smith Wigglesworth, started going through it. And you know, it's funny because I picked it up, and I mean, I know, I know stories that aren't in here because I heard Dr. Summerall talk about them. And so when I picked it up, I didn't start at the beginning. I, I've read it before. I've already read through this book several times. And, and there were some things in here that I found that I didn't know before, such as the fact that uh, how Wigglesworth, Wigglesworth had been healed as a young man, but how he got really involved in healing was he visited a healing home in London that was run by John Alexander Dowie. And so he had connection with that, which shows Dowie's reach and his influence, because Dowie was, he was healing. I mean, it's just, it was just that simple. And so when I read that, I thought, wow, and I started looking up some of the names, and I knew the people that they were talking about. But when I picked this book up the other day, it's funny, because I pick it up, and you would think I was, uh, you know, reading Hebrew or something, because I start at the back, and I go forward, you know. And I pick it up, and I went right to the part where, how he passed away. 
And that got me thinking, because I, I know how he died. He actually died at a funeral, if you're not aware of that. Um, and I, I started, and I got a list of names of people, all well-known ministers um, from, throughout history. And I have their birth dates and their death dates. And one thing I found is this. October is safe. <laughs> Nobody ever died in October. Many of them died in September. Many of them died in March. But hardly, I, I couldn't find any that died in October. So October is a safe month, I guess, if you're a preacher. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's just preachers or what. But, but I, I was reading, but he went to a friend's funeral. And 10 weeks before that, he had visited a hospital that that same friend was in and had gone in and had had a major surgery. And this was a well-known Pentecostal minister at the time in England. His name was Wilfred, Wilfred Richardson. Good friends with Wigglesworth, traveled a lot with him and preached truth, preached healing. I mean, hardcore, I mean, to the point where you know, if you go to a doctor, you're in sin. I mean, that, that's the, that was the position of early Pentecostals. And then he ended up in the hospital having to get a major operation. And whenever Wigglesworth went to visit him in the hospital, I, actually, I think he went later uh, to his home when he got out, and this man was crying, couldn't forgive himself. And he said, what am I going to do? He said, I've told these people to trust God, and here I went to a doctor. Yeah. I get it. I mean, I understand making a decision, making a stand, preaching the truth. And, but you should preach the truth as, as pure and straight. But as long as we're in these mortal bodies, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to have failures. You're going to have ups and downs. That stuff just goes on. But we should never get to a place where if a person, if, let's say him, if he feels like he let God down, we should help encourage him. That's what Wigglesworth did. Now, Wigglesworth made a statement. He said, no knife will ever touch this body. And in that, he meant he would never go to a doctor. <clears throat> and yet, he had made that stand, but whenever he went to talk to his friend, he said, no, 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 listen. God, he's not holding that against you. He, he said, you have fought, and now you're living to fight another day. And so... But the man just really almost couldn't be consoled, is the way the words, the way it says it. And then after that, 10 weeks after that, the man died. And I've never found out if it was exactly the same thing or something different or whatever it was, but he died. And he was, uh, Wigglesworth went to the funeral, went into the vestry where all the other ministers were. It was a freezing day, snow, ice, that kind of stuff. And he went into the vestry where they had a little fireplace, little stove kind of thing going and he was standing there, and there was a, another person next to him. And he turned. He had prayed for the man's daughter a week or so before. And he said, uh, how, by the way, how's your daughter? And he said, well, sir. And the man didn't want to say anything, but there had been no change. This is Wigglesworth. And he said, well, sir, uh, there's, there's really no change. And where was where they said, and it's so funny because I can, I, I know Summerall must have got this from him. But he said, Wigglesworth put his head down and went, hmm. <clears throat> And that was Dr. Summerall. That's exactly what he would do. But it was funny because they said when he put his head in, went, hmm. And they said he just fell over. Boom. Dead. Just standing there. Went to another man's funeral and died. 
And so everybody's sitting outside waiting for the funeral to start. James Salter, which was Wigglesworth's son-in-law, <clears throat> was out front. Uh, Donald G., which was the head of the, the uh, Assemblies of God there in London at the time, he came out and motioned for James. James and uh, Wigglesworth's daughter, Alice, was sitting on the front row. And so he motioned for him. He came back, whispered a little bit to him. They went back in the vestry, came back in. People starting to go, okay, what's going on? They'd seen Wigglesworth go in there, but didn't know what else was happening. And so then Wigglesworth was laid out on the floor in the vestry. They didn't touch him. They tried to raise him. They commanded. They prayed. They did everything. He was 87 going into 88, I think. 88. He was 88, yeah. And so they did everything, but after a while, they stopped. And the people out there, they could hear something going on, but didn't know what it was. So then James Salter went back out, began speaking, didn't say anything about his father-in-law, began to conduct the service. By this time, they brought in the casket with the other man's body. And he's starting to conduct the service. And then, it, then they called Alice back. She went back. Alice, now, I don't know if you know this, Alice was deaf. Wigglesworth's daughter, deaf, all her life. Wigglesworth saw 21, 22 people raised from the dead. Hundreds of thousands of healings. His daughter never got healed. See, people say, oh, well, see, wasn't God's with it? No, but the thing is, and people say, well, this is why. You don't know. Shut up. You don't know, right? So, but the point is this. Wigglesworth and there was one point where he had kidney stones. And his kidney stones were so bad. I mean, he, I mean, there were many of them. At one time, I think they said he passed 27, 28 kidney stones. In, in, kind of in one time period. I mean, can't imagine that. And so he was, um, and at one time, during this time, he, went, he would still go ministry, he'd pray for the sick, people get healed, amazing things. And then he would go back to his room and have to change his undergarments because they'd be bloody. But he never hesitated. And he was always just as aggressive and just as bold. Why? Because he said, I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm moved by what I believe. And I believe the word of God. That was his statement. And so... He would go through these episodes, these different things, ups and downs. See, we, sometimes we think, well, if we ever get there, we just, every, life will be this. And we have to realize, yeah, that is God's, that's, that's what he has prepared for us. That's what he has given to us. That's what he wants us to have. But I know very few people that actually get there and stay there. Most people fluctuate. Why? Because they get distracted. What got them there, they don't keep doing when they get there. And because of that, they start to come back down, you might say, something like that. And so in reading all these different things, it started hitting me. And it's funny because I, was, I knew I was going to be preaching on following the faith of those who faith and patience inherit the promises. And yet I kept reading about, I read about Wigglesworth's death. I read about the situations in his life or different situations uh, where he needed healing and trusted God, and at one point got so sick that his wife, Polly, now she died early on, um, but whenever he was so sick that she was going to break, because they had committed no medicine, no doctors, nothing. And she said, I, I can't do this. I got to call her. He told her, he said, we made a commitment. Don't you break it. 
And he said, you do not call a doctor from me. And then he said, I'd rather die believing than live doubting. See, the re- reason I'm telling you this is because I want you to realize these men's lives were not these nice, fluffy lives. These men had, had battles in their own lives while they were setting captives free around the world. So it's, it shouldn't be anything strange to us, as what the Apostle Peter wrote, that we would be going through these same fiery trials because nobody's gone through anything that somebody else hadn't already gone through and beat. But too often we're so self-centered on it, we think, well, nobody's gone, nobody knows, you know, like the old song, nobody knows, you know. <laughs> don't, don't say the trouble you've seen, say the trouble you've caused. How about that? Nobody knows that, okay? <laughs> but I look at these guys' lives, and I look at Dr. Sumrall, and then I, I picked up Mother Edder, because we, we've got both of these in the, in the bookstore, so I'll go in there, and I'm, I'm just kind of walk around looking at some of the different things that we got there, and, and her face on the cover you know, caught my attention. And I'd already had this book and was going through it and picking it, you know, just looking at some things. And I picked this, when I saw this one, I picked it up and I thought, because I was thinking, man, faith isn't all, like Brother Hagin used to say, you know, don't talk to me about faith when you're eating steak. Let me hear you talk about faith when you're having to eat, you know, beans and as he, as Brother Hagin would say, taters. (laughs) Beans and taters, right? I'll tell you, I had some beans and taters this week. It's a pretty good meal. You right? You know what I mean? <laughs> so, but when I, when I saw her picture, I remembered, because I studied her life. This woman went through hell. I mean, I'm telling you, not one, not one of her kids survived her. In other words, she died after all her kids did. Her last daughter died in a, a streetcar accident. I mean, just horrible things throughout her life. And yet she never wavered, kept preaching, kept moving forward. And it was amazing because you read about all the different things. Her husband, well, she actually had two husbands. One died and she remarried. But one of her husbands had a very, um, it, it was an open cancer sore on the back of his neck and actually on the back of his head. It's on his head. And she prayed for it many, many times. Never got healed. Now, admitted, I don't know if you realize how much revelation concerning healing has come about in the last 10 years, 20 years, especially in the last 50 years. And she died in 1944, I think it was. Uh, 24, 1924, somewhere through there. I know it's a 20-year difference, but when you get up around 80, <laughs> 20 years don't mean that much anymore. You know? but, um, but in it, uh, she was harsh on her husband, blamed him. Yeah, you didn't get it. I prayed. I prayed in faith. You don't, you don't have enough faith. That's tough. That's the, way, that's the way people believe, and that's what they taught. When I first started preaching, that's still what they taught. You don't have enough faith, you don't get it. Simple as that. Then we started finding out Jesus raised a dead man. Yep. <laughs> if he didn't have faith, then we can have faith. If, if we can have faith for a dead to get up, we can have faith for somebody that doesn't have faith. Amen? Amen. 
And so we, we see the revelation come forward on these things. But what, what struck me was this, because if you look at this, and I'm going to get back in the scripture here, but I want to hit a couple of things. Because I just read from Hebrews 6, where he said, follow the faith of those, right? Then you go to Hebrews 9, you go toward the end of Hebrews 9, you go to about um, 20... Where do I want to go? 24? Yeah, we could say uh, verse 22. Uh, actually, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, Hebrews 9.22. Is that right? No, that can't be right. Am I in the right place? Oh, yeah, okay. Hebrews 10. I'm sorry. I was at Hebrews... I started at nine, Hebrews 9.24, but I want to go over to Hebrews 10.22. He said, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Notice our wavering is based on the fact that he's faithful. See, we can be faithful and not waver because he's faithful. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. Now, what he's referring to here, these people, they were Hebrews, why it's called Hebrews, and they had come to Christ, but then they went back to the temple and back under the law because the Judaizers had come in and said, yes, accept Christ, but you still have to keep the law. So that's what he said. If we continue to willfully sin, in other words, if we go back, you'll see this in just a second, after we have received Christ, then there's no more sacrifice for sin. In other words, if you leave the new covenant to go back under the old, then you got no hope because the old covenant can't save you. And the new covenant is where the blood of Christ is, which is how you're saved. So he was warning them, don't, leave the blood of Christ and go back under the law. So meaning that you can depart from Christ. Then he says, there remains no more sacrifice for sins, but instead a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye Shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and has done wrong, as we would say, under the spirit of grace? For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongs unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, if you notice, going down, verse 35. He says, cast not away therefore your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience. This same person that just wrote, follow the faith of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For you have need of patience. You got faith. But you need patience. Consistency. That after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. 
Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Now faith, now notice that he says this, now we're going right into Hebrews 11. So all of this is a, you know, the preface for Hebrews 11. Then he says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Now that's always amazed me, that you could take things that are not seen, and if you pile up enough things that aren't seen, it makes something that appears. That, that's amazing. And the only way you can understand that is if you understand quantum physics, which I do not pretend to understand. Right? I'm just saying that's the only way you can understand it is if you get quantum physics. Okay? Now, he's, then as we know, he goes into, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And you know all the way through, uh, that's in verse 4. Yep. Verse, four, verse 5, by faith, Enoch, there he is, we talked about him this morning, was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him for before his translation. Hear that before. What does that mean? That means that Enoch was living a certain type of life. That before his translation, he had this testimony, that he pleased God. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. Isn't that right? right. So we know that that means that before Enoch was translated, he was walking by faith. Is that right? By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, also, through faith, also Sarah. So you can see all it. Now look at verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them. Even though they didn't see them, they saw them afar off, they didn't have it, but they were persuaded of it. In other words, you know, yeah, you believe for divine health, but you get sick. Well, what do you do? Does that mean divine health isn't true? No, of course it doesn't mean it. What it means is you've just not attained that yet. Okay, you've not obtained that promise yet of divine health because God promises divine health. He, listen, divine healing is a stepping stone to divine health. God, God doesn't want you to, to really focus on divine healing. He wants you to focus on divine health. And if you need healing to get there, then great, it's available. But don't focus on healing because when you focus on healing, then just by, you know, the law of, you know, of a coral, how can I say it? By, by, a, by, by the law of opposites, if you believe in healing, you have to believe in sickness in the sense that if you can be healed, you can get sick. God said, I don't want you believing in sickness, even though sickness is real. We're not saying it doesn't exist. But we want you to believe in divine healing, and then you become immune to sickness. I had a situation, again, this week, uh, because I, you know, don't wear a mask. <laughs> And so it opens up for conversations. <laughs> and so I had a person ask, ask me about it, you know. And really what he said was, I uh, hadn't seen you in a while. Uh, you know, where you been? I said, I've been here. And he said, well, you, used to, you came in all the time, you know. I said, I don't go places where they require me to wear a mask. Amen. I said, if they're going to go do something against my will, then I'm not going to frequent their business. And I'm talking to the guy that's standing there, right? 
And he said, well, so you, you don't think that, um, no, he said, you're, you're not afraid of, of getting sick? And I said, no. I said, because you have to remember, uh, common sense leaves as soon as fear steps in. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, let me ask you this. Do you believe that a chain link fence can keep mosquitoes out of your yard? <laughs> he said, well, no. And then he goes, oh. <laughs> you, you can see it when he lit up, you know? And I'm like, if you can make a chain link fence that'll keep mosquitoes out of my yard, I'll wear a mask. Because the only mask that works is a hazmat suit. That's, right. That's the only one. Everything else is just makes you feel better and lets people know whether you comply or not. Right. That's really all it is, right? And now it's become a social thing. Oh, you're one of them. <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, I am. You better believe I am. Amen? And when you get tired of hiding behind your mask and you want help because you got sick anyway, yeah. then you come to me and I'll help you. Yeah. Amen? And I had another person say almost the same thing, you know, kind of along. I had one guy uh, at Walmart follow me, you know, where, and you could tell he was, <laughs> he wanted to say somebody, didn't want to say something, because I mean, because I'll, I'll wear the, I got the, the gator thing, you know, you pull around you, and, and it's like, I'll start to walk in Walmart where the shopping carts are, and I have it around my neck, and I'm kind of like, you know, and as long as they see you messing with it, they won't say anything. And so I, I, and as soon as I get through the door, it's down on, and then, you know, everybody's got them on, and then people are looking at you, and I'm like, right. you know. So, but you have those situations going on. Now, listen, me not wearing a mask doesn't keep me healthy. See, but I don't wear a mask because of fear. Because, see, if you wear a mask because of fear, then what you greatly fear will come upon you anyway. So if you're going to wear a mask, listen, if I did wear a mask, it would be just to not cause trouble because I need something from there right then. Right. right. So, I mean, I, I get that. But as far as me, I'm not worried about it. I'm not afraid of it. You know, I'm, and, and to be honest with you, uh, I remember the stores that enforce that and make me and try to make me do that. And I remember that. And I have a choice of where I spend my money. And I remember politicians that try to take away individual freedom because they think they know better. And so, uh, you know, it, it's, <laughs> it's amazing on what they choose to enforce. So anyway, so go away. There we go. Now, <clears throat> let's get back in there and try to finish this up. <clears throat> he goes on, and as we know here in Hebrews 11, over and over again, it says, now watch. In verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Right now, go with me. I want to show you if I can get there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go with me toward the end. In uh, let's start at about verse 32. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson, and Jephthah, and of David, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith, the prophets, who through faith, subdued kingdoms. You hear that? Faith subdued kingdoms. Wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, 
escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain. You hear that? The faithful were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Now, here's God's opinion of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Hear that? Went through all of that. Now, why is he telling us this? And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us. In other words, they went through all of that, didn't receive the promise, but God has a better thing for us now. Okay? that they without us should not be made perfect. In other words, God has to keep his promise to us because his promise, they saw the promise afar off and God had to keep that promise to keep his promise to them. So it's not just, you know, you're not so great that God is doing it to keep his promise to you. He's keeping his promise to them and you get the benefit of it because you have the same faith they did. Amen? But now we get to walk in the fullness of it and receive the promise. Now watch. He says, Wherefore, now we're starting into chapter 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Who's the cloud of witnesses? He's talking about all these people that had died and gone on before. Let us lay aside every weight. In other words, look, consider these people. He just went through what they, what they went through. He just listed. Beaten, stoned, you know, put in the lion's den, all these things going on, all this trouble, tormented, afflicted, all of this, hiding in caves, destitute. He said, seeing that we are comfortable about with these kind of people, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience, consistency, the race that is set before us. Hear what he's saying? Don't let your current situation cause you to stumble, to quit. People have been through this before. You remember when the Apostle Paul said, we, I was talking to George this week about this. The Apostle Paul said, yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Remember that? That's the Apostle Paul. Now listen, when the Apostle Paul said you're going to suffer persecution, he wasn't talking about somebody talking about you behind your back. If anybody knew persecution, the Apostle Paul knew it. He had it from day one. He had people chasing him down. People waiting. People took vows that they would not eat until they killed him. I don't think you've had that yet. Think about that. See, when he said persecution, he meant persecution. He, you know, he, he didn't mean the stuff that, as we would call, first world you know, problems. He, he meant real persecution. And he said, if you're going to live godly in Christ, guess what? You're going to have persecution. Why? Because Jesus promised it. Isn't that right? He promised persecution. 
He said, here's what they're going to do to you for my name's sake. They're going to hate you. They're going to call you haters. Why? Because evil always puts on you and they project onto you what they do. They always do that. He said, they're going to call you these names and they're going to bring you before the magistrate, Clay Jenkins. If you're not from here, you don't know that name. And tell you to shut down your salon. Why? Because you make a stand. See, there's all this stuff going on. There's nothing different. Everybody thinks this is a different time. There's nothing different. If anything, we've not yet seen any kind of persecution. You want to talk persecution, uh, let me take you to some, you know, 80-year-old Jewish person. They can tell you about persecution, and they thought it was the end then too. I'm not saying it's not the end. I'm just saying, you know, what, what do they say? It's not the what did uh, Churchill said uh, whenever he took on uh, as being prime minister? He said, it's, I'm not telling you it's the end. I'm not even telling you it's the beginning. I'm telling you it's the beginning of the end. So, <laughs> in other words, we still got a war to fight is what he was saying. But people get so wrapped up and it's, ama- it's easy to do. Why? Because we're bombarded with information 24-7. And I can tell you, Every information you get is not geared to bring you closer to God. Especially if it's coming over a device, and I don't even care if it's coming from preachers. It's amazing how many prophets are popping up today and repeating what they heard on the news last night. But God told them. It's amazing. And it's just, I hear these things, and I'm like, people, get serious. Just all you have to do is be ready. Yep. Somebody called in the office today when I was walking, or not today, this week. I was walking by, and, and uh, I think uh, Lesha or somebody was on the phone with him. I said, Curry, have you heard of this book about the rapture, about this? Have you heard about this person? I said, I know that name. I said, I never read that book. And I said, well, you know, do, what do you think? I said, I read a book a long time ago that got me ready for the rapture. It's called the Bible. I don't need another one. Because so far, Without fail, every person that has written a book about the rapture has been wrong. So the, 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 the success rate is so bad, why would I want to read another one? That's ridiculous, right? Never take financial advice from a broke person. It's the same thing. Okay, so I got to finish. <clears throat> he says, all of these, yeah, in verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus. Now he tells us how to run the race. Looking unto Jesus. He didn't say looking unto, as, as George, my friend, says, looking unto Father Google. Instead of Father God, most people have Father Google. No, we're not to look unto Google. We're to look unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. See, the cross wasn't the joy. For the joy set before him endured the cross. In other words, he had to go through the cross to get to the joy. What makes you think you're different? What makes you think that you're not going to go, that you don't have to go through the cross experience to get to the joy? Despising the shame 
and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now watch this. For you consider him that endured, and this is what I want to get to. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Consider him, consider Jesus, the most pure, perfect individual ever on this earth. And yet people lied about him. And not only lied, but even in their lies, they contradicted each other about him in their lies. Now think about that. He endured that. We're talking about the, see, if you think it hurts your feelings for somebody to lie about you and having a lot of people lie about you, you're not so pure that it would hurt you as much as it hurt him because he's more pure. Do you get that? The more pure you are, the more it hurts you when people do wrong against you. So Jesus had the most pain from that more than any other person because no other person is as pure as he was. That makes sense? And he said, consider him that endured this. Why? He said, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. In other words, if he went through this, then what makes you think people aren't going to lie about you? He said they would. He said the things they're going to do you. Why do you think it, why do you act like it's all a big surprise and, oh, this is just happening? No, I didn't. There's very little actually happening that hadn't happened before. Very little. Now, technology's different. And sooner or later, yeah, certain things are definitely going to happen. But do you realize most people don't live because they're so afraid of what's coming. And, and then they put their, they project toward that to the point where they don't live with anything in their own life because they're just waiting for this thing to happen. And we can't do that because this is going to happen. And we can't do this because that might happen next. And you don't know. And you don't, you don't want to do that because you might be over there and this happened. <laughs> well, then they've already won because you're doing nothing. You're not even living life. That's right. That's right. See, it'd, it'd be, there was a... <laughs> thing that went out on, I guess, Facebook or whatever, somebody sent it to me. <clears throat> it's this guy supposedly living in California. And he said, hey, I don't know why everybody's talking about California. He said, I'm coming to you live from the largest prison in the world called California. <laughs> he said, we can't work, which is great because that means we don't have to spend all of our day working for money. We actually have time to go pan for gold. <laughs> He said, guaranteed riches. We can find gold somewhere. And then he starts talking about all these other things. And, and he's talking about how, you know, it's kind of the, the joke about it. <clears throat> but the whole point is that people are so wrapped up in what could happen. And honestly, I've heard every prediction. I hear them all the time. And, you know, so far, I'm not saying stuff hadn't happened. I'm not saying things haven't changed, obviously. Right. But. All of these doomsday prophecies, none of them's happened. And they gave dates. You know, July this, June this, September this, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. Guess what? Hadn't happened. Get your money out of the bank. They're going to close the banks. They're going to make a run on the banks. Quick, they're going to the digital dollar. Yeah, they surely will at some point. Could be this year. Who knows? And if your faith is in your dollar, then you're doomed. Right? But bottom line is, all that stuff, none of it's happened. And I refuse to live in fear of what is supposed to be happening. You know, okay, if, if, if they're going to do away with money, why are you hoarding it? <laughs> it is going to be worth nothing in no time. Might as well live big and spend it <laughs> while you can get stuff for it. 
because they're going to come a time, apparently, that you can't get anything for it. <laughs> then you're just going to stuff in your mattress and make your mattress, you know, filled with money that you can't even spend. <laughs> Something. But it's just, it's amazing how people are so willing. This, um, <laughs> the guy I was just referring to, he said, you can't do this, you can't do that. He said, you know what? You, he said, let me just sum it up for you. Put yourself in a body bag because you're already dead. <laughs> he said, just make it easier for them. Just go ahead and put yourself in a body bag. I'm like, man, that guy's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, if we've ever had an opportunity to shine, this is it. Yeah, right. You want to stand out? All you got to do is not wear a mask. Yeah. You're going to let your light shine? All you got to do is walk around. <laughs> and, you know, it, always, it amazes me how people will walk across the store to come to you and tell you why you ought to be wearing a mask. And I'm like, why? Well, because, you know, you could be spreading sickness. Then why'd you get so close to me? Why didn't you stay on the other side of the store where you'd be safe? Well, you're just unreasonable. No, I have common sense. Right? Then they start to walk off. You just follow them. Stay close. Still here. <laughs> You really want to talk to them and really be emote, you know, emote your words. You know what I'm saying? How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I mean, you know, you just. <laughs> Watch people. <laughs> they just say you're it. You're it. You got it. <laughs> Might as well have fun. Amen. <laughs> you say, you can give somebody a heart attack tonight. We'll raise them up. <laughs> That'll be a sign. Okay. But here's the part. He says here, look at this last part. Verse four. You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. What, what is that a reference to? Jesus, bleeding in the garden. Before anything else, striving it. Why? Because he was saying, if there's any other way, any other way, but not my will be done, your will. In other words, any other way. What, what do you, you think, he, okay, he didn't sweat drops of blood which is actually a medical condition that you can actually do. The capillaries under the skin actually burst and come out like sweat in his blood. He didn't do that just as a sign. He did it because he was in such turmoil mentally, knowing what was going to come. Because you have to remember, he was God in a human. His body was going to die. But then, and he said... You will not leave me to see corruption. Do you get that? He had to trust God that God necessarily in this case was going to raise him back up. Because it said that the glory of God raised Jesus. So, but he, he, did, he, he resisted sin to the point of blood. And yet we want to talk about, well, you don't you understand, the devil's been after me. He's, and now you know and I'm just fighting. Him. You ain't bleeding yet. You know, I haven't seen you burst out in droplets of blood because you're so intentioned and stuff. So we have to realize all this stuff, and, and the thing is now, everything is about fear. And, and it's this thing. And, and, and now, because you got fear in one area, 
your, your fear bleeds over into the other areas. And you're afraid of this, and you're afraid of that, and you're afraid of this, thing's going to happen. At some point, you have to say, you know what? I know who holds my future. Yes. And, and, you know, it's just a point where you get to, you just like, whatever's going to happen, just come on, let's get it on. Let's do it. You know? Don't wait six more months. You know? If stormtroopers are going to march in and chop our heads off, do it tomorrow. Do it tonight. Yeah. Don't wait six months. Great. Why? Because that's a coronation. Amen? That's when I get to where I've been trying to get. I can't get there by my own hand because that's not allowed. So we have to let somebody else do it for us. Does that make sense? See, we either believe this or not. I mean, otherwise, this is just, it's exactly what, um, oh, what's his name? <clears throat> Was it Marx? Yeah, Marx. That said that uh, religion is the opiate of the people. Is that what we got? Do we just have an opiate that just numbs us and placates our conscience or whatever it is in the meantime? Or, or do we actually believe that this man, God in the flesh, died for us and shed his blood to free us who were all the days of our lives in bondage to fear of death? Man, I'm telling you, once you get free from fear of death, <laughs> ain't nothing nobody can do to you. You don't worry about anything after that. Then, then all you want to do is make sure when you die, it's glorious. <laughs> Amen? What does that mean for a Christian? That you, if you bow your knee, it's to him and to nobody else. Because the last thing, you, the worst thing you want to do is bow your knee to the wrong person and then die. But every knee will bow to him. Is that right? So we get to choose. Like we always say, Evil Knievel said it. I know you didn't expect to hear him quoted today. But. <laughs> but he said, we do not have a choice in how we're brought into this world. But we can choose how we leave it. And he said, and my death will be glorious. Well, guess what it was? He got saved before he died. So his death was glorious. So we need to realize that we have the opportunity to glorify God, whether by life or by death. We glorify God. Amen? You know, it doesn't, the Bible doesn't really tell us much about the soldiers that were around Jesus when he was crucified. But we do know that one of them said, surely this is the son of God. Yes. What does that mean? That meant that his death was of such a nature that, th that it affected this man. And it wasn't just him dying on the cross because other guys died next to him. But it was how he died. How did he die? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So his death was glorious. And if you're going to glorify God in your death, you have to do it in a way that will let people know who you're dying for. Amen? Because that blood means everything. So, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son, for his sacrifice. Father, we do not want to count the blood of Jesus as any less than everything that it is. That it has provided everything for us. So Father, I thank you. I thank you even now for revelation 
in the importance and in how far-reaching that blood is. Father, we thank you for your grace to try again, to, to get up and keep going, to get the grit, to not waver, to stand fast in faith. Father, we thank you that you've made it very simple, not easy, but very simple. Love you, love people. So, Father, we thank you for that. And I thank you that even now, Father, that you reveal to us ways that we can love you and love people. And that we will live these ways out, that we will be lights as you intended us to be. So, Father, I speak now and I say to any of those under the sound of my voice, whether present, whether by internet, in the future, CD, DVD, MP3, in any form, if you have not made Jesus Lord, do it now. Make a choice. Make a decision. Make him Lord of your life and then act accordingly. If you have made him Lord, but you've never received the power of the Holy Spirit in the form of being what is generally known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then I urge you, seek that baptism. Request it. Ask, and he will freely give it. Because he's already released it, and it's his will that you receive the power of the Holy Spirit in and through your life. Father, we thank you. We thank you that by your Holy Spirit, you teach us, show us, and help guide us in the ways of righteousness. That in Jesus' name, we've been saved, we're being saved, we shall be saved because you are continually working in us, with us, and through us. So Father, we bless you. We say in Jesus' name, be blessed. Amen. 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 Now, if you need ministry, my team will put it together and organize you. Uh, we do have the papers at the back of the, uh, the foyer out there that you can gather those on the way out. Um, also, we have our conference starting. Our leadership is starting Tuesday at the Hilton Garden Inn in Louisville. And then our conference starts Wednesday morning. This is a little bit different this year. We're having four days, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, 9 to 5 or 9 to noon and 2 to 5 each day and then 7 p.m. each night. And so uh, we're looking forward to this time. It's going to be quite different, obviously, because of how things are. Um, but uh, we're also going to be attempting, I assume we're going to be able to do it, uh, to be able to video, bring in video, uh, live stream our speakers, our, our, some of our speakers from around the world, our leaders. Uh, we'll be hearing from Canada. We'll be hearing from uh, the UK and from Wales and from Australia. So we've got, listen, I don't know what the devil's thinking, but he's stupid if he thinks he can stop us. Amen? Amen. All he's managed to do is what persecution always does. Whenever you try to stamp out a fire, it just spreads. <laughs> Look at China. You think, see, the devil has learned. He tried to stomp out Christianity in China through, through a persecution heavy, and all he did was spread it. So now he doesn't come at us straight on. He comes at us by, by a way in which he can try to spread fear, which he knows fear is the opposite 
of trusting in God's love. But it ain't going to work. Why? Because I read the back of the book. We win. Amen? All right. God bless you guys. We will see you all again soon.